Morning, Center. How are we doing? Good. It's good to see you. I have not been here in a long time. Uh, my name's David. If you don't know who I am, I work with the Zero Collective. So Center is a part of a group of churches. Uh, and so I'm a part of other churches in the same network. And so I get to visit every once in a while. It's just good to be with you. Good to, to jump in today. Uh, here's how I want to start. I want to tell you there is a war going on in your mind and many of us are totally unaware of it. There's a war going on in our minds at all times, and right now, especially, it's an information war. You ever feel like you get inundated with information, inundated with media, inundated with messaging, inundated? I started studying the mind, so the human mind is actually the most fascinating organ that all of us have. And it's fascinating for a variety of different reasons. One, the brain is made up of billions of cells with neurons that move at 250 miles per hour. Did you know that's how fast they move? Neurons in and out, information flying, right? Speed of light, 250 miles an hour is processing information, information, information all the time. Other things about the brain, billions of brain cells, 250 miles per hour. Memories, believe it or not, can change over time. Did you know that? If you're married, you knew that, right? Because both of you were at the same spot, you had the same story, you were both there on that same day, and both of you have totally different recollection of what happened. Right? So memories can change over time. The brain, believe it or not, can only do one task at a time. And I wrote, even if you're a woman, one at a time. That's it. That's what it says. Maybe you're way more efficient, women, than us men at switching from task to task. But that's what it says. Memories can change. Here's something that's fascinating. The brain actually feels no pain. So the processor of pain the processor of our bodies, the, the processor that triggers emotions, that triggers responses, that tells your body, pick your hand up, it's hot. The brain itself actually feels no pain. Yet it's where most of us process through pain and all different kinds of pain. Uh, and then here's this, this is what I think is most, or most interesting, is the average person today processes 74 gigabytes of information every single day. That is 19 full-length movies of content, of stories, of billboards, of advertisements, commercials, media, social media, information, messaging, you name it. The average person today processes 74 gigabytes of information every single day. Most of us, we, we would see this. I brought a couple pictures. Most of us would see this helmet, right? A steel helmet. And we would think that's my brain. I decide what comes in and I decide what goes out. I protect. I protect from intrusive thoughts. I've decided what is what, right, what is wrong, what is truth, what is lies. I've decided, I've determined, I've protected. And so nothing is going to enter of which I do not want to enter. We have 90 or 19 full length movies worth of information, 74 gigabytes every day that enters our brain are not like a steel helmet. They're actually more like a sponge. They're a sponge that sucks in and soaks. It doesn't matter what it is, whatever environment, a, a sponge will suck in. It will attract, it will absorb all sorts of content that surrounds it, whether it's good or bad, whether it's healthy or not, whether it's moldy or bleach, whatever it is, it will suck up and soak in. And the sponge actually does not get to determine what comes in or what goes out. It's external forces that play into that. Our brains are the exact same thing. Our brains take in so much information, and, and I'll illustrate it in this way. 500 years ago, just five centuries ago, the average human being on the planet would process about 74 gigabytes of information in a lifetime. 
through stories or through books, the average person, what, would they, what they would do in a lifetime is now processed day in and day out. Do you ever feel like you are inundated with information of the mind? And it's, it becomes hard or difficult to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is truth, what is lie. Our brains are in a war. It's a war of the mind that is taking place. And here's what's wild about it. So many of us have no idea. How would you ever know if a lie or if multiple lies penetrated your mind when you're inundated with that much information? At a certain point, you can't filter it, right? It just, it comes in and a lot of it sticks and a lot of it gets reiterated. You go from time to time, season to season, year to year, job to job, relationship to relationship. There are certain things that start to, to stick, that start to take place. And you know what's funny is it, we don't choose most of them, but we're all aware of them at a certain point. And if we're not, the people around us become aware of them. Lies that drive us, lies like I'm not good enough, lies like I'm not desirable, lies that I'm not lovable, lies like I'm not wanted, lies like I don't matter, or I'm unnoticeable, or I don't make a difference. There's so many lies that, that have the ability to take root inside our hearts and inside our minds. And again, most of us are totally unaware of it. Let me ask this question. How can you win the war in your mind when you can't separate the truth from the noise? How can you win? with 74 gigabytes of information. That's what I want to talk about today. It's what I want to dive into. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in two main passages today. The first one is John chapter 8. So pull out your phone, pull out your Bible, get your journal out, whatever it takes, whatever you need. Um, we're going to be in this five-week series, but today sets up kind of the premise of the need for the series called Winning the War in Your Mind. Uh, but also I'm going to give you a little context into what was going on in John chapter 8. So John chapter 8, Jesus is traveling around. He, he's engaged in his ministry and he's leading, but there's a group of people that really resist Jesus. And the group of people that resist him the most are a group called the Pharisees. Pharisees are the religious leaders. They're the religious elite. They're the ones that are, are most educated. Like if you would look at the culture of the society, these guys have a higher intake of information than a lot of other people around them. They're the scholars. They're, they're building on so much knowledge and experience and learning, and they're in the position to disseminate that same information. So these guys start getting frustrated at Jesus because Jesus is challenging them. Jesus is pushing things. He's, he's pushing the envelope. He's starting to say things like, hey, I, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For them, they go, what? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Only the Son of God could say that. Only the Messiah, the chosen one. They, they were so consumed with their world, with knowledge. There was a war going on in their mind where lies began to take root and were victorious to the point that they actually couldn't recognize Jesus for who he was, even when he was right in front of them. Even when he talked to them, even when he confronted them, even when he spoke or spoke in public, they could not see him, so they got hostile. So on this particular day, John chapter 8, they were frustrated with Jesus. They wanted to trap him in his words. And so they began to question his authority to publicly interrogate and humiliate him. And so the one thing I want to read before we read this passage, uh, the one thing I want to, to describe is there was immense value and honor uh, in your lineage and in your ancestry. So in this day, it, who you were was who you came from. And so this war between the Pharisees and, and Jesus, the Pharisees are, are basically saying, who, who do you think you are? Where do you come from? 
Let's talk about your lineage. Let's talk about your line. And so they actually go after Jesus, what a lot of scholars say too, is they actually go after Jesus and, and Jesus, the role of his father, which becomes the, the, the conversation here. Because as you know, and as scripture says, you know, Jesus was born uh, of the Virgin Mary. So God, our heavenly father, functioned in the role of father of Jesus. That is his lineage. And so they start questioning though, and they, they allude to this like, yeah, maybe, or maybe not. Maybe, maybe you were conceived out of wedlock. Maybe, maybe there's an asterisk next to your story. I mean, it, in the culture of that day, holy smokes, that, it's like you, you wouldn't believe that they just went there that they just challenged him like that. I mean, it'd be like, whoa, 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 you, you, can't, you can't go after that. And so they start claiming the opposite. They say, this is who we are. We're, we're ancestors. We're, we're children of Abraham, right? God made this promise to Abraham for the Jewish people, for the Israelite people. And so they say, we're attached. We're attached to what God is doing in this world because of our father, Abraham. And Jesus goes back and forth, goes, you don't even know your father, if you knew him, you would know who was right in front of you, back and forth, back and forth. So it's building in the tension. Now imagine how this would be received, this statement that I'm about to read, uh, knowing there is a dispute right now between the Pharisees and Jesus about fatherhood, about lineage, about ancestry, knowing how significant it is. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says to them, you belong to your father, the devil. How does that hit you? If you're engaged in a war and if you're engaged in this battle that's out in public, that's confronting Jesus, this guy who claims to be the son of God, if you're confronting him and Jesus says this to you, what happens inside of you? You pop, you explode. There's this emotional obliterating reaction. Like, are you kidding me? And so this is what Jesus says. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the very beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you know, this is the only time in scripture that Satan is called a father and he's the father of lies. He's the father of deception. His native language is distortion. It's, it's not truth, untruth. I mean, it's his whole language, his whole his whole lineage, his whole history, his whole pedigree is deception. That's it. Go all the way back to even Genesis. You know, Adam and Eve are in the garden. God says, who, who told you? Who told you? And Satan twisted and contorted and deceived. Here's one thing. I actually have a good piece of news for you today. And that's this. Satan ta- Satan's tactics haven't changed. He's still a liar. He's the father of lies. And so these lies that the Pharisees believe actually take root. And it's to the point that they can't see Jesus for who he is, even though he's right in front of them. There was a war in the minds of the Pharisees, just like us today. And it's a war between truth and lies, truth and lies, truth and lies. The difference is the information that we're taking in today obliterates the amount of information that even people took in in that day. With so much more information, with so much more lies, how are we supposed to discern what is true? And that's the premise of today. Here's what Jesus was saying to them. I am who I say I am. I'm the truth. 
Everything in scripture, everything in the Old Testament, every prophecy, everything was pointing at me. It was building to me. It was moving in the direction to demonstrate that this is all about me. In fact, others can see it, but you can't. You're losing the war in your mind because the lies that you've come to believe are affecting you as if they were true. So this whole series that we're in called Winning the War in Your Mind, it's based on a book by Craig Rochelle. He's a pastor down south of a very large church. And so he wrote this book called Winning the War in Your Mind. And in it, he has this quote that if you capture this, just think about this, chew on this, remember this. The quote goes like this, a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. So with the amount of lies, with the amount of information, with the amount of stuff that we take in on a regular basis that is not true, that is a lie, the amount that comes in, a lie that is believed as true, even though it's still a lie, even though it's false, even though it's the opposite of truth, a lie that is believed as true will actually affect you. It'll show symptoms of the fact that it were true, even if it's totally false. So what does this mean? Pharisees were so consumed with lies that they couldn't see the truth when it was right in front of them. Here are some of the lies that the Pharisees believed. Think about you. Think about your life, maybe your past right now. As you think about these, do any of these make sense? Jesus isn't the son of God. That was one of the lies that they believed, and it was affecting them as if that were true in this moment, in this interaction with Jesus. Here's another one. I don't need Jesus to be saved. I can save myself. Here's another one. I'm justified because I'm a descendant of Abraham. A lot of people in the church today with different backgrounds might even say this. I'm saved because I go to church or I'm saved because I was baptized or or, or I'm saved because I, I consider myself a Christian. Let's keep going. My salvation when I die has nothing to do with the condition of my heart. Jesus went after these Pharisees significantly. At one point, he looked at them and he called them whitewashed tombs. You're you're giving the impression to everybody else. You're you're exuding this confidence that you have it all together and inside you're deader than a tomb. Or this last one, I don't need to have a healthy soul, just the appearance of a healthy soul. These are lies that when they're believed, they will actually affect all of us as if they were true. A lie believed will always affect you as if it were true. These lies had drowned out the truth, even when the truth, when Jesus was right in front of them, they couldn't see him for who he was because of the lies and the effect of the lies that they believed to be true. Here's a big statement. Write this down. If you want to win the war in your mind, the truth of God needs to be the loudest voice. We have 74 gigabytes of information to work with every single day. How much of that is the truth of God? That's a convicting statement for me. That's so convicting, right? Let's, let's do an inventory, right? Let's look. Don't you hate that screen time app if you have like an iPhone where it tells you how much time you actually spend on stuff? I, I choose ignorance. I don't open that thing. I don't want to know the information. I already know what it's going to say. It's going to say I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Anybody else? Okay, I just want to make sure we're not faking it here, okay? So I hate that app. I hate looking through it. I hate it. But it tells me something that I know to be true. And I, and I know this. In a world where we're inundated with information, we actually do get to play a role of what comes into our minds. A lot of times maybe we play victim or a lot of times we say, oh, I'm just a victim to culture or whatever it is. You make a determination of what enters your mind through decisions that you made long before that. Through your social media, 
through Netflix, through YouTube. Maybe you're a TikToker. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's conversations that you have with other people. Maybe it's the books you read, the podcasts you listen to. We have the ability to decide what enters into our mind, but we lose a lot of that ability to filter it once it is in our mind. Things start getting muddy. Things start getting chewy. Things start getting weird. And it doesn't always make sense because lies that are believed as true will affect us as if they were true. So are you aware of your own thought life? Uh, Here's what I've learned about me. I become way more aware of my default when things don't go well. Is that anybody else? It's funny. Like I, I almost... If we really take an inventory of that and we say, man, if I become more aware of how I'm actually doing when things aren't well, then when things are good, I should be very suspect. Because it's the same thing that the Pharisees had going on. Jesus looks at them and he goes, you're whitewashed tombs. You have the appearance of everything looking good, but what's broken is is you can't see it. So when things don't go right, uh, this happened to me. It's kind of funny. This is more like a physical one. So Easter week, uh, I'm always suspect of Easter week going into it. As a pastor, Easter is a really big Sunday. It's a big, big day, big weekend that many of us work towards for months and months. There's lots of planning. There's lots of prayer. There's lots of energy. There's lots of effort. There's a ton of buildup. But here's uh, been my experience. For really, really big Sundays, I never liked the week before. It's always horrible. Something crazy happens, something absurd, something surprising, something dangerous. So I'm always like waiting, like, great, what's it going to be this year? So here's what happened. Um, We had some people over, some friends of ours, uh, a week before Good Friday. So it was on Friday night and had a great time, had lots of fun. They went home and we got a text on Saturday morning that said, hey, just so you know, one of our kids ended up getting super sick. They got that stomach flu bug that's going around. And the, the last line said, hope you guys are good. I went, Easter week, oh, oh, it just makes me so mad. So I'm just waiting, and it's like, okay, we're good. We're good all day Saturday. We're good all day Sunday. Shannon gets home, my wife, she gets home, and within minutes of being home, she is super sick. She got the exact same thing. So, of course, being a loving husband, right, I'm I'm like, get away from me. I don't want that. Get the boys away. Go upstairs. Stay at what Uber food. Like have them deliver through the window. I don't care. Stay away. I don't want to get it. I'm uh, Easter week. This is going to happen. So of course, you know, she does what anybody, any logical human being would do is crying and you need to love me better, which is true. And so here's the feud, the dialogue going back and forth, but I'm fearful. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. So three days goes by. She was sick for the first day, ends up being good. I'm like, okay, she's safe again. I don't have to avoid her. All of it. Guess who gets sick on Thursday? So I'm at work. Friday's our big day. We had this collective Good Friday experience. So I had a role on Friday at our Good Friday experience. All four churches coming together, just like I had a role on Easter. And on Thursday afternoon, I start feeling rumbly. You know what I'm talking about? And then then I I become a believer of the lie. I'm fine. This is nothing. It's a fluke. It must be the Jimmy John's I ate. I'm trying to rationalize everything. This is not an issue. And Shannon sends me a text because she's loving and says, if I'm you, I'd come home quick because it hits fast. And then here's the lie that I begin to believe. I get in my truck. I start driving home. The lie I start believing, I ain't going to make it. I am tempted to blow through stoplights and stop signs. And you, I get home, sure enough, I'm sick. All this to tell you, uh, I get kicked out of Good Friday. I'm so sick. I can't do anything. I can't offer anything. I can't expose anybody else to it. 
right? So it works through, it goes through me, super sick, super painful. And as I'm laying in bed Thursday night and Friday, I'm just thinking like all of these things, all these lies start creeping in. All these things, I wrote down a couple of them. Nobody notices when I'm not there. You ever feel that? This is my fault. You ever feel like that? Things don't go right, things are wrong, other people in your life get sick. Here's another one. I, I don't actually matter to anybody. Or this last one, maybe God just doesn't want me involved. It's crazy how when things, all of a sudden the circumstances change, the lies that are in my brain that start bouncing around become very obvious. And man, do they feel true. They just feel right. They feel, it's like, yeah, this has to, like you're trying to rationalize it. I sent a text to um, my best friend on Sunday. So here, I'll play it out for the rest. Feeling better Saturday, Sunday, I'm good. I'm ready. I wake up. Shannon's excited. My wife, I mean, this is her favorite day of the year. She's just, she's such a good Christian. It's just like Easter. She just lives for Easter. I'm like, I just feel bad because I'm working towards that, right? It's a work day for me. I'm trying to get there, Shannon. She's so excited. I get to church and she texts me and she said, Judah just threw up our three-year-old. So now she's out. She can't go. And then fast forward an hour, I'm about to walk up on stage to host at one of our other churches that day, and she sends me another text, and she said he just threw up blood. A wealth of emotion just floods over me, right? You just start thinking, all these same lies start coming in. You know, is this my fault? Do I matter? Does God not want me involved today? So here's what I do. I do my little host spot, um, and I get in the truck, and I drive home because we have a baby also. So I'm thinking, if he does it again, I'm going to have to stay home with our baby so Shan can take Judah to the hospital. And as I'm driving home, I send a text to my best friend, and here, here are the three words that I said in the text. Um, disappointment, discouragement, and fear. It's really interesting. All of these lies were circling those three pretty dominant emotions. Right, the lies, nobody's going to notice if you're not there. God doesn't want you involved on that day. Maybe, maybe what you can do, you just can't do it as good. So somebody else is needed. Why are you even here? Like All these lies that I know, I want you to hear this, that I know are lies are affecting me as if they were true. You ever have that? You ever feel that when something goes wrong at work, when something goes wrong in family? Man, I, there's been seasons of our marriage where it's like we are just grinding. Like it's just... We're not in step. We're not working. We're not moving in the same. It's just like things are off. And the lies that reiterate or keep coming over and over and over, I know them. I know that they're not true, but it affects me like it's true. Here, here's why I say this. Here, here's why I take all that time to tell you this. Uh, pastors are no different than anybody else. Parents are no different than anybody else. Bosses and leaders and employees and students and teachers, professors. You, this is something, it's a human condition. All of us have this. And then here's what's funny. What we crave in moments like this is for somebody to tell us what? The truth. What I was craving at that moment, somebody tell me I'm worth something. Somebody tell me I'm wanted. Somebody tell me it's not my fault. What we start doing is we crave for somebody to tell us the truth. Here's where a lot of it falls off, right? Where the wheels fall off is we run, we run to all the wrong places. Some of us run to social media and we look for there. We post something. We're looking for affirmation that's immediate. Some of us run to work. 
we try to overperform or overwork. This is, I just thought this was funny. Um, it takes me a long time to write a message. Usually it takes me like a, a week to build it out and to flesh it out. I wrote three messages in 24 hours after Easter. I didn't, it didn't click in my head until after I was done with number three. And I asked myself, am I compensating for something right now? Why am I doing this? Why, why do I have such a drive that is driving me to perform? Try, is, it, is it attached to a lie? Is there something that says, oh man, you're not good enough? So I try to, to prove, try to work, try to flesh it out. Uh, some of us hit the gym. I do not, right? That's obvious. Some people do, right? Walk around Planet Fitness and you'll be like, I know who it is. I see it, right? You should not be here, sir. That's the, right? Or, or what about this one? Um, sometimes we look to relationships or our spouse. We look to friendships. We, we look other places for truth. The one place where we know we can actually find truth, which is God's word. So many of us have an aversion to running there. We know what it's going to tell us. We know it's going to be truth. We know it's going to be right. We know. So why do we resist it? Why do we fight it? Why, why do we avert it? If you want to win the war in your mind, the truth of God needs to be the loudest voice. We have a Devo that we've worked on and created together, just as a collective, as all four churches, uh, because most of us, honestly, like if we're being really honest, don't know what our inner thought life actually yields. We're, we're not even super aware of it. We, we couldn't articulate. I mean, it's really funny. I do this thing with a lot of guys that end up in my office um, for, for a sort of like first counseling type of like, hey, I just need somebody to talk to and process. So I, I learned a lot of guys have a hard time articulating emotion. Men, can I get an amen? We'll work on it. Okay, so amen. <laughs> so a lot of guys have a hard time. Like, this is what I feel. So I literally have a deck of cards that have emotions on them. And so I'll just be like, hey, tell me, tell me some of the feelings that you feel. Like when you're not at your best, what do you feel? I don't know, uh, sad and angry. Those are two pretty easy ones, right? Like we, we got those, right? Sad and angry. Uh, as soon as I hand them the cards, all of a sudden it's like, holy smokes, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this. I feel rejected, I feel unwanted, I feel unlovable, I feel scared, I feel anxious, I feel stressed, I feel overwhelmed, right? All these emotions that just start coming out, card after card after card after card. Here's, here's why we created this devotional. Most of us, if we're really honest, have never taken an inventory of our own thought life. And so the purpose of this devotional is for you to do that personally and then you also to do it with a group of people. Because if you want to win the war in your mind, you also can't do it by yourself. The, the reason Jesus created the church is so that we can corporately come together and seek him and seek his word as the foundation for the rest of our lives because it's a foundation of truth. So if you think I can do it on my own or I can beat it or I can win on my own, you're wrong. It's another lie that's taking root. So here's the encouragement. Do you know what lies in your life affect you as if they were true? And do you know where to run for truth? So you, we'll have these devos for you. They're also online. I want to read this passage. This is the second one. It's Philippians chapter four. So if you have a Bible, flip it open, turn to Philippians four. But uh, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and he's writing from a jail cell. So as we talk about like circumstances and external forces where it's like, man, it really makes you reconcile. Like what are the thoughts that are actually going on? I love this because Paul is in a bad situation. He's in a bad circumstance. It would be easy for a lot of the lies to be swarming around and taking root and for him to be believing them as if they were true. But here, here's what he says. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, everybody say this next word with me. Think about such things. Here's what Paul's doing, and he's doing to the church just like he's doing to us today. He's putting the pressure on us to think, to decide, to choose what information enters into the sponge called our minds. He's telling us to think about such things, to choose the right inputs, because that will change everything. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Here's part two, right? So many of us are disjointed in our thought life because sometimes we even, we change our information. We change the knowledge. I just need to, to learn something new. The, the misalignment is translating from knowledge to action, to live into it, to execute. A lot of, a lot of you would not disagree. I should do life with a group. A lot of you will not take another step to jump into a group. That's just one example. A lot of you could say, man, I know I got lies. I know I have brokenness. I know things, maybe mom and dad growing up or significant traumatic experiences. I know these have affected me. I know I could probably use help. I know I could probably sit down with a counselor. I know I probably need a small group. I know I probably need all these things. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to go back to work tomorrow. There's a disjoint between understanding, between the knowledge, between thinking, and then actually implementing it and putting it in action. And then he says this, and the God of peace will be with you. That is the result. That, that's the result that comes. There, there's peace. There's order. There's right alignment. When truth takes place and builds a foundation in our mind, there is an effect that is tangibly seen everywhere. But he's giving us, I mean, it's almost formulaic. It's think about your inputs. Choose what you think about. Choose where you go for your truth. Choose it. Implement it. And then the, the result will come. So many of us, right? Microwave Christianity. We just want it now. What's the fastest way to get to where I'm going and then I can keep pushing and keep running? It, it always catches up. It always catches up. So here's what I love about Jesus. Uh, if you read just all about him. You read through the stories in the Gospels. You see how he interacted with people, how he led people, how he taught people. When you see and understand his ministry, what you will see is a depth of knowledge of Scripture. Everywhere he went, everywhere he taught, how he discipled the disciples that followed him. Everything he did when he was challenged, when he was pushed, he drew on a knowledge of the truth that transformed the conversation. And what's funny, remember Satan, the father of lies, deception, distortion. Satan's language, which has not changed, is to twist and contort and distort and deceive. And Jesus, drawing on a knowledge of Scripture, drawing, drawing out of obedience to the Holy Spirit and awareness with him, congruence with him, Jesus drew on the exact same power and the exact same source that we have access to today. There's a piece, uh, I really love this story, um, it's in Matthew when Jesus is right after he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness and Satan tempts him three different times. 
You know this story, maybe you've heard this before. Satan tempts him, you know, make these stones into bread or throw yourself off the cliff. And, and every time, like you can see Satan is twisting and contorting and testing and tempting. And Jesus' response every single time is scripture. And he quotes it back to him. He draws right on the foundation of truth itself. And at the end of the passage, it says, and Satan left him. Don't you want the deceiver and the father of lies to just leave? I do. We have access to the exact same thing. Let's draw on it. Draw on it as a family. Let's draw on it as a people. Let's draw on it as a church. Let's draw on it as the church, as part of the church. It changes everything. Jesus may be the Son of God, and just to capture this, he may be the Son of God, but he resisted the temptation and the lies of the enemy through the exact same power that you and I have access to today. So as I looked at um, my family, just getting ready for this, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in the church. Um, I didn't have a great experience in church. I really didn't. I, in fact, I never wanted to do what I'm doing right now. And I looked at my dad, I looked at my mom, I watched the struggle that they had in their marriage, I watched the struggle that we had as a family. I, I saw, right, because just like you, you see all the brokenness uh, behind the scenes that most people don't see in the front of the scenes, right? So I saw all of it. And here's the thing that just always stuck out to me, my parents never had a group. You know, my dad's the lead pastor of the church, they never had a group where they could just be them, where they could pull back the curtain and say, this is what we're struggling through. This is what we're working on. This is where we're hurting. This is where we're broken. Here's some of the lies that just keep hitting us over and over. They never had a group, and I watched the effect that it actually had on our family. It was devastating. I mean, there were years I just wondered, like, (laughs) is my family going to make it through the end of this thing? Moved place to place, location to location, job to job. I mean, it was like... So when I started at Frontline and with the Zero Collective five and a half years ago, uh, one of the first things we did after Shannon and I got married was we joined a group in our church. And I tell you what, if you think you got excuses for why you should not join a group, I, I have you beat. I didn't want to. I definitely didn't want to. Oh, it gets complicated, the gray lines, I don't want people in. And then what hat do I wear? Am I pastor? Am I just David? Man, I got thousands of excuses, but I knew that we had to jump in because I wanted a different story. I tell you what, we're in the same group right now as we were five years ago. And our group has doubled in size because of children. (laughs) We're making disciples a different kind of way. It's doubled in size, but our group, I I wanted to capture this because I think some of you just need to take a step and do this. Um, Our group is constant encouragement, accountability, and reiteration of the truth of God in our lives as individuals, as a married couple, and as a family. So if you're tempted to dismiss this series or this message today, if you say, this doesn't apply to me, or I don't struggle with the lies and the truth, I don't. Here's what I wanna promise you. I wanna promise you somebody close to you needs it. And they need you. Because what I've learned is unintentionally, we can reinforce the lies that people believe in the people that are closest to us. Unintentionally, we can reinforce the lies that drive them to isolation, to pain, to brokenness. But we have the ability to change the script. We have the ability to actually be the voice of truth of God and 
point people back to that truth of God in a context and in a way that nobody else maybe in their life can. So I just want to close us in prayer. If we're ever going to win the war in our minds, let's make sure we keep coming back to the truth and the voice of God as our foundation. And I just, let me pray for you. Let me pray for center and then, uh, then we'll keep worshiping. Sound good? All right, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you that you are truth. Thank you that you set us free of the bondage and brokenness of lies that so easily shackle us and hold us and bind us. God, I pray for marriages right now that are in this room, that are watching online, that are listening later. God, I pray that uh, the lies that are taking root, that are driving and dividing uh, marriages, that are dividing races, that are dividing churches, that are dividing small groups or classrooms or uh, friend groups or neighborhoods. I just pray the division is what the enemy is using, God, to just divide us, to push us, to deceive us. And I just pray that we would continue to fall back on the truth of your word the truth that what Jesus did for us on the cross is enough, that the value that you have given us is not because of what we do or what we've done or how we've earned it, but because of you, Jesus, because of what you did and what you accomplished on the cross and what you say about us. God, I, I just pray that in this room, whatever lies are taking root, that you would free them, that you would provide opportunities to join a group, that you'd provide opportunities to dive deeper into this content, opportunities to sit with a counselor or John as their pastor or somebody else. Uh, I just pray that you would do a work, God, that you would allow us to win the war in our minds through the powerful voice of truth that you offer us. We love you. We're grateful for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said together, amen.